0: James chapter 5, beginning at verse 7. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count those as blessed who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance. You have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, today is um, we're continuing our series on the fruit of the Spirit. We're getting into the fourth attribute of the fruit that Paul describes lives in the lives of those who have the Spirit of God living inside of them. And I've mentioned this several different Sundays over the course of this series, that it's good that we memorize this list, and soon we'll take the screen away and we'll try it without it, but we won't do that this Sunday, so I want you to join me together. Let's read the list of the fruit of the Spirit as Paul describes it in Galatians 2 chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I've said most Sundays so far, and I just said it a second ago, each item on this list Is an aspect of a single fruit that grows with the presence of God living inside of us, grows out of the presence of God Himself, sort of like a spiritual. Gobstopper. Remember remember the Gobstopper candy from Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? Um, I told my wife, I'm going to talk about Gobstoppers in my sermon tomorrow, and she brought me some Gobstoppers. So if anybody wants one, I'll give you one. If you don't remember what these are, they're an actual candy. And the movie comes or the, the, the name comes from uh, the, the fact in the movie that Willy Wonka makes this candy that is everlasting. It just continues and perpetually works and goes on forever. Uh, Gobstoppers, though, I was doing a little history research, are a real candy that existed before the book and before the movie, and they're a small, round, hard candy if you've never had one, and they consist of different layers that, as, as, you, as you eat it, they dissolve and reveal another layer and another layer, each layer being a different color and a different flavor. Uh, now, it was a couple of weeks ago, my kids gave me, it wasn't a gobstopper, but it was something like that, and and they said, Dad, here, try this, it tastes really good, um, which made me nervous, <laughs> as it should have, and I was skeptical, but I, I decided I'm going to try it, try it anyway, I want to be a good sport, and so I put it in my mouth, First first minute or so was fine, the next minute, though... <laughs> The next layer of that candy was exposed. And I don't even remember if it was spicy or sour or what it was. It was just gross. And, and, and here's where I'm going with this. I feel like that might be our experience as we are at this point in the fruit of the Spirit. Like like so far, we've talked about love and joy and peace, right? And you're like, yum, I like those flavors. Like, like give me more of that. That tastes good. And then we get to patience, and we're like, ew, whoa, wait. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> That's not what I was expecting. I mean, think about it. We jump at the opportunity for the other ones, don't we? Like we jump at the opportunity to taste love and and joy and peace. But, But in order to taste patience, in order to have that in your life, you've got to be in a situation that requires patience, don't you? Right? You've got to be put in that situation. You've got to be waiting for something that hasn't arrived yet. And who jumps at the opportunity for that? And so I'm just going to stop my sermon right now and we're going to practice it. I'll come back in 10 minutes, okay? No, right? right? Half of you would leave, right? No, no, you wouldn't leave. You're kind. Those of you online, it's a lot easier to click us off. But, but, but you see what I'm saying? We we don't do that. We we do that with the other things. We place ourselves in situations where we're gonna witness or experience love, right? Like like you go to a wedding, right? Or or joy, like celebrating a birthday, right? Like we put ourselves in those situations. Peace, like you might go for a nice walk. It's a beautiful day today, maybe a little bit later as the temperature goes down, you might go find a place to experience peace. We put forth effort to experience those things. We might spend energy or money or time or go great distances, but when was the last time you did any of those things to experience patience? When was the last time you got in your car and you looked up on Google Maps or your GPS app, whatever your favorite one is, and said, would you find the the most amount of traffic and lead me into that space? Like, there's not even an option for that in the app, is there? Like, when was the last time you were driving and you were hungry and you were on a a road trip and you decided you've got to eat something from a fast food restaurant? Let's pick the fast food restaurant that has the longest line at the drive-thru. Who does that? Nobody does that. Well, this past week, I posted on social media this question. I said, when is it toughest for you to be patient? Think about that. When is it toughest for you to be patient? And a couple of the answers that I found, Steve Quist, our council president, he responded, he said, patience isn't my thing. <laughs> and I don't think patience is most of our thing. Others said road construction. Others said parenting. Parenting health issues, trying to explain to someone how to fix their computer, slow drivers in the left lane. That one came up a couple times. And so I was looking at all those, like 50 or so different responses, and I thought, you know, there's something that all of these responses have in common, and probably the same thing you struggle with patients in two. They all have in common that there's something that isn't right with the world. There's something that isn't right with the world, and you have an angst inside of you, this innate desire for that thing to be made right. Like simple as a slow driver in the left lane, right? right. There's something not right. They need to get over, right? They need to get to the correct lane. Patience is required when parenting, not children that are doing everything in love and in joy and in peace, but, but when they're learning lessons the heart. Hard way when they're talking too much or talking back when they fail to clean up their room. See, the common denominator in anything that we struggle with patience is is that there's something that isn't right with the world, big or small, and we have to wait for it to be made right. And waiting requires patience. And almost everyone I know struggles with patience. And that leads us to the scripture reading that we just read a few minutes ago today. It's written by James, the half-brother of Jesus. He begins in chapter 5, beginning at verse 7. He says this, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Be patient. And I was thinking, how often does saying be patient work when I tell my kids to be patient? How often does that work for you, right? Like, I I don't know how often it does. And the truth is, it doesn't work for anyone, really. And what you'll see as you look at verse 7 is, he says, be patient then. That word then suggests that we're actually in the middle of a thought. We're in the middle of a conversation, and we need to look back. There's the first six verses of chapter 5 where James explains that there is something that the people that are reading this letter are waiting in the world to be made right. There's a specific situation that he is speaking patience into. And specifically what's happening is they're being taken advantage of. Uh, the people that James is writing to, these are faithful Jewish Christians, and they have been taken advantage of by corrupt, and wealthy people around them. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy, but these people around them are wealthy because they have taken advantage of the people that James is writing to. And so James is addressing that situation in what he's writing. And at the very beginning of chapter 5, you'll read what James has to say to those who have been unjust. He says in verse 1, he says, Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Now what's happening here? Well, these are people who have taken advantage of others and have profited from those actions. These are rich people who have been unjust. And and what it means to be wealthy 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem is that you wore fancy clothes... And you had lots of gold and silver. It's not much has changed, right? And so James says this: he says that misery for you is near. Verse 2, he says, Your wealth is rotted, moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver are corroded, their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Don't hold back, James. right? He's not holding back anything. He's painting a vivid picture that all of the clothing that these people have purchased with the money that they have taken advantage of others, they've earned it on the backs of somebody else, eventually that clothing is going to fade away. Eventually it's going to decompose Their gold and silver will corrode Which may not necessarily mean actual corrosion But its value will corrode What James is saying is that this is a bad investment And he says soon it's going to be obvious to the whole world That it's a bad investment And it's a very simple reason why Because you're going to die or Jesus is going to come back And it's your funeral when it's your casket sitting there and all your gold and silver and your moth-ridden clothing is laying there. Everybody is going to know that you invested in the wrong thing. And so whatever day comes first, whether Jesus comes back or you pass away, James says you're going to realize that everything you've invested in doesn't last. And that fact alone is going to begin to testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. That's regret, right? We can exp- we've experienced that. We've all made decisions that we've had that kind of feeling around verse 4. He says, "Look, the wages that you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you." So so the people James is writing to, they've done work for these wealthy people who've made lots of money, and then the wealthy didn't even pay them. And it says that that you failed to pay these workers who mowed your fields, and now the fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fatted yourselves in the day of slaughter. They are rich because they were brutally unfair to those who were working for them. And so now those at the bottom are living as low as those at the top are living high. And if there's anything you know about the Lord, it's that the Lord hears those who live low. Every time, he hears those who live low. Verse 6, You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. I mean, isn't that what they did to Jesus? That's what they did to Jesus, his own brother. These people were ruthless, they pursued their own success at all costs. They didn't care who was in their path. They didn't care about the innocent casualties in their way. And it's the very next verse that James says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Are you feeling patient or are you feeling riled up right now? (laughs) Right? Right? This is the context here. This is the situation. This is the circumstance that James is telling these people that you need to be patient with him. This is way worse than getting stuck behind a slow driver in the fast lane. This is way worse than binge watching something on Netflix, and the next episode comes up, and that little red thing keeps turning, and you're like, What's something wrong with the internet? It won't come on. Like, some of you are laughing because you know what I'm talking about. These people are poor these people are poor and it's not not just there's Jesus said you always have the poor with you there's there's nothing inherently sinful about being poor or being rich it's that these people have nothing and it's not because they lived at the wrong place at the wrong time it's not because the economy tanked it's because they have been mercilessly taken advantage of and they're angry and they're hungry and they're watching the people that have taken advantage of them living it up at their expense while they and their families and their children are left with nothing. Be patient in that. It makes me think, I wonder who's being more offensive at this point. The rich people that took advantage of them or James, who has the gall to tell them to be patient in the first place. See, be patient isn't enough. It's not enough when I tell my two-year-old to be patient. It's not going to be enough for these guys either, which is why he continues. After he says, be patient, he says, see how the farmer waits For the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. I read this this week, and I thought, wait a minute, what does that have to do with patience? What does grumbling with one another have? I thought we were talking about the people that were being unjust. What, is, what does grumbling with each other have to do with patience? And then it kind of dawned on me, um, when I'm stuck in traffic, or I'm behind a slow driver, I'll tell you this, as your pastor, I want you to know that I have grown in maturity, Okay? Um, I, You're laughing <laughs> Let me make my case, okay As your pastor, I want you to know That I have grown in maturity to the point That when I'm behind a slow driver Or a bad driver Or somebody cuts me off or whatever I have grown beyond the point Where I will make a strategic hand gesture At that person I don't do that Okay And, and I do not lip words to people through my window that even though they can't hear me they know exactly what I'm saying because I'm a pastor okay I don't do that I am too mature to do that but I do need to tell you that I am not too mature that if I'm stuck in that situation and my wife Alyssa is sitting next to me and I'm stuck behind a slow driver I am not so mature that I will not inch forward. And she will say to me, Tom, you know, if you keep inching forward, it's not going to make him go any faster. And I'll say, do you want to drive? <laughs> I am not mature enough not to do that. <laughs> and then I got what this meant when he talked about that in the context of patience. There's two things that the people James is writing to that are guilty They're guilty of either doing or wanting to do. The first one is they want to take the matter of injustice into their own hands, or at the very least, if they can't do that, they just want to fight with each other while they're waiting. They just want to fight with each other while they're waiting. Here's what James is saying. Neither one of those things is patience. Neither one of those things is patience. If I'm not making gestures and lipping things, but I'm lipping things to my wife, that's not patience. James says that's not patience, and and his letter is not a hallmark card about patience or anything else he writes about. James is known for many things. One of the things he's not known for is writing in a way that is flowery or sensitive or veiled. This is honest. And James is saying that he can see 100%. This is what you're going through. I know what you're going through. I know what just happened to you. It's not right. And I know that everything in you wants to take matters into your own hands. And if not against the people that have caused this harm to you, at least to the people sitting right next to you. James says, I know I see it. Don't. Don't do it. The judge God himself is literally standing right outside your door. He knows. He sees more than you see. He sees more than I see, and he's coming. He's coming really, really soon, and he's going to make it right. And I think about that, and I think that's what any victim of any kind of abuse or injustice needs to hear. Isn't it? Don't, don't ignore the injustice. There's nothing that suggests that James is saying, continue to go to work if you're not getting a paycheck, but know that God himself is standing at the door and that the only thing that is gonna bring genuine, experiencing, lasting patience is that his justice is coming, knowing that it's coming. And that brought to mind what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 4. While he was under the injustice, he said this. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. He was in prison when he said this. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. You've heard these words before. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Last week, I um, I spent a few hours... Um, with my brother, he and his family, they're building They're building a house. Um, he's, he's handy that way. I'm not, so I did grunt work. That's about all I'm good for. And I was only there for a couple of hours, and, and he had a friend there that was helping with some of this as well. We were moving some boards, and his friend is a church planter um, from Illinois. And he told me that he was preparing that week to meet with a family that um, goes to his church, and they had just tragically lost their infant child. And he was going to be doing the funeral. And, and as we were talking, I told him, I said, about a year ago, the first funeral that I officiated after the initial pandemic lockdown was, was for an infant who tragically passed away at birth as well. And in um, the situation that, that, that I was brought into, there was no explanation. They didn't know why. It was indescribably tragic. And as I was talking with him about this, I didn't even know that the next day I would get a call and that I would be officiating a week after that the funeral of a 22-year-old girl straight from Elkhorn here, Haley Robers, who passed away in a car accident this past week, who was confirmed right here in our church. And so my, my brother's friend, he asked me, he said, he said, what did you say when you met with this family who lost their child? What do you say in a situation like that? What do, you, what do you say at the funeral and and I went to answer I even opened my mouth and nothing came out <laughs> and and I honestly I, I could I, I, for a minute I couldn't even remember and I don't know what it was I, I don't know if I was just just caught back and how horribly tragic it was but I thought for a minute and 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 then I said you know I, I think I hope I just listened I remember I listened and and I remember I hugged the family. I remember, you know, it was a time we really weren't supposed to do that, but I, I just I couldn't, couldn't not. <laughs> and, and I remember telling them that God's heart is broken with you. And that life that ends in death is, is not ultimately, was not ultimately part of God's plan, and that he is even more grieved than you are by the injustice that has led to a world where you would lose your child. And because we know that, we know that God's shoulders are big enough that, that we can cry out to him, That you can cry out in your anger, that you can cry out in your pain, that you can cry out with your questions, that you can cry out in your sadness. And we do that not just because God knows, not just because God can relate, not just because God cares, but as James says, if you're still waiting, God isn't finished yet. Look back at verse 4. He says this. He says, The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. God is listening. And unlike you or me, God has the power to make right the wrongs in this world that we cannot fix on our own. Even death, especially death, and he alone has the vision to see when and how he will do it. And that is what patience is. That's what patience is. It's waiting for the wrongs to be made right. It's waiting to see your child again in the arms of a Savior who 2,000 years ago himself was patient and suffering for us on the cross, enduring death for our sin and injustice to God, all so that he might conquer the source of injustice, evil, and death, and bring us eternal and everlasting peace. Remember the first thing that we learned first few weeks in the series is that Paul uses fruit to describe what's available to us in the spirit of God living inside of us because fruit doesn't grow instantly does it fruit grows over time and and this fruit this spiritual gobstopper is multifaceted and patience is just one layer and yet it's an extremely important layer because If they're all interconnected, I would venture a guess that if you struggle with patience, how many of you struggle with patience? Show of hands. I hope we're all raising our hand. If you struggle with patience, here's the thing, you're going to struggle to taste all the other flavors in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you don't believe me, just think, can you be impatiently loving with someone? Can you be impatiently under self-control? Can you experience a lack of patience and yet share the fullness of the kindness that lives inside of you or the faithfulness or the gentleness or the joy or the peace? They're all connected. They're all connected. And that's what I want every family who I sit down with who's lost a loved one to know. Some of you are here, and I've sat down with you not that terribly long ago. That's what I want you to know. They're all connected. Every person who has ever experienced or been a victim of injustice, I want you to know that as well. I want every person who's sitting in standstill traffic or whose child is acting out that God is not finished yet. God is not finished yet, and he will make every wrong, every wrong in this world right. And we should fight to that end, because that's the will in the heart of God, but you need to know that you are not alone in that battle, and you are not alone in that hope. And that's why James leaves us with a wealth of experience that that the people he's writing to have to draw from. Verse 10, he says, Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count those blessed who have persevered. You've heard about Job, right? Job's perseverance. And you've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. James points back to their ancestors, those who persevered through suffering and came out the other side. Those like Job, an extreme example, if you don't know the story, someone who lost everything, his wealth, his health, his family, everything. And he was not quiet He cried out, he even questioned God, but he did persevere, and in the end, God gave him double. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy in ways that we cannot even fathom. And Knowing that truth, and allowing our faith in that truth to bring us comfort and peace is what God wants to give us and the fruit of the Spirit that lives inside of us is we patiently wait for his salvation to come. And so can we pray for that now? Lord Jesus, this may very well be the most difficult of the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit To be able to to understand and to experience. And yet we see that it is so often the the gateway to all of the other aspects to, to love and joy and peace and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness, self control. Because sometimes as we, as we sang in the opening hymn, we cry out to you, we ask questions, we pray prayers that seem to go unanswered. And what James is telling us in those moments is that when those things come, we are to be reminded by the faith that has been given to us in the presence of God inside of us that you are not finished yet that our loved ones who have gone before us are in the arms of a Savior who went before us in sin and death and conquered it and came out the other side to give us hope that every injustice will be made right when you come back and you are standing at the door. And so be patient then, brothers and sisters. Lord, give us patience. Patience that comes from the hope that is found only in you. And may our prayer be Paul's prayer as he wrote it in the book of Romans chapter 5. Who said, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, not because sufferings are fun, but because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, character, hope. And hope that does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Poured out. This is a hope that we cannot muster on our own. It is a hope that we cannot taste. If it not be for your very presence inside of us, enabling us to speak the words to understand your truth, and to put faith in your hope that you are with us now and you will be with us forevermore. That as your word says, that our troubles on this side of heaven, we will consider light and momentary in comparison to the future glory that will outweigh them all. And until that day comes, you have told us, I do not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you alone, but you promise to be present with us. Jesus, you have given us your literal presence as we come together around this feast table. May we be reminded that you are there, that you are here.